Chapter Eight of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. My first care, after finding myself completely settled at Saragossa, was to overcome the difficulties of the Spanish language. I had studied it superficially long before, and thanks to my Bayonnaise tongue, I now accomplished the hardest part of the undertaking, namely the pronunciation which is very rarely acquired by Frenchmen in general. By the time this was gained, I had been three months in Spain, living in a state of high ease and tranquillity, very much against my will, finding nothing to excite or to romance upon, and at best meeting with but those little adventures which are unworthy, if not unfit for detail. It was not, however, my fault. I went continually to the teatro, to the Plaza de Toros, and to all those places where one may most easily get oneself into mischief, without accomplishing my object, going from one to the other with the most provoking, quiet, uninterrupted facility that fortune could furnish forth to annoy me withal. Everyone was calm, polite, and cold. No one fell in love with me, no one quarrelled with me, no one took any notice of me, and I was beginning to think the Spaniards the most stupid, sober, mole-like race that the world contained, when some circumstances occurred which, from the very first, excited my curiosity, if they did not reach any more violent passion. I have said that the room which I had chosen looked into the street wherein we lodged, and also that that street was very narrow. At first I had hoped to draw something from this circumstance, having always entertained high ideas of the pleasures and agitations of making love across a street, and for the whole first night after our arrival, I amused myself with fancying some very beautiful lady, with some very horrible guardian, who would find means of conversing with me from the jalousies on the other side. I was soon undeceived, a very little knowledge of the localities showing me that the windows opposite to my own were placed in the back of a row of houses forming one side of the principal street, to which our own was parallel, and I had reason to believe that none but servants and inferior persons in general dwelt in those rooms, the windows of which might communicate with mine. This was a disappointment, and I thought no more of it till one evening, when I had been riding in the environs with the Chevalier de Montenero, who, in general, gave me about an hour of his society every day. The rest of his time was principally spent, I understood, in reading and writing, and in bringing to a conclusion some affairs of importance, which had accumulated during a long absence in the new world, where, my talkative landlady assured me, he had won high honours both as a statesman and a warrior. On the day which I speak of, however, we had been absent nearly three hours, and returning somewhat heated, I threw myself down before the open window with a book in my hand. How I happened to raise my eyes to the opposite houses, I know not. But doing so, I saw the fingers of a hand so fair that it could belong to no servant, resting on the bars of the jalousie, while, at the same time, a very bright pair of eyes glittered through the aperture, apparently rather turned down the street, as if watching for the coming of someone. My own jalousie was drawn for the sake of the shade, so that I could observe without being remarked, and, approaching the window, in a few minutes after, 
i saw a priest enter at a small door just below the window where the eyes were watching i concluded that this was the father confessor and i took care to see him depart after which i partly opened my blind and remarked behind the one opposite the same eyes i had before seen but now evidently turned towards myself and i determined not to lose for lack of boldness whatever good fortune should fall in my way love of course was out of the question for i certainly loved helen now as deeply as ever and having no excuse i shall not seek one nor even try to palliate my fault the only incentives i had were idleness youth and a passion for adventure but these were quite sufficient to carry me headlong on upon the first mad scheme that opened to my view every one i believe feels or must have felt sensations somewhat similar when the heart's wild spirit seems rioting to be free and hurrying on reason and thought and virtue tumultuous along the mad course of passion till each is trodden down in turn beneath the feet of the follies that come after what i sought i hardly know it was not vice it was adventure from that day forward i was more frequently at my window than anywhere else and i cannot say that the fair object of my watching seemed after a time to find the proximity of her own blind the most disagreeable part of her apartment indeed the weather was so warm and so oppressive that on more than one occasion she partially opened her jalousie to admit a freer current of air giving me at the same time an opportunity of beholding one of the loveliest faces and forms i ever beheld though so shadowed by the semi-darkness of the room as to throw over the whole a mysterious air of dimness doubly exciting of course the matter paused not there i had heard and read a thousand tales of such encounters i was as deeply read in all romances of love as the knight of la mancha was in those of chivalry and i had recourse to the only means in my power of commencing a communication with my fair neighbour namely by signs at first she withdrew as if indignant then endured them then laughed at them and in the end somewhat suddenly and abruptly seemed to return them though so slightly that all my ingenuity would not serve me to comprehend what she sought to express i had heard that the ladies of spain were so skilful in finding the means of carrying on these mute conversations that many a tender tale had been told in silently playing with a fan and i somewhat wondered to find even one spanish girl so ignorant of the language of signs she had evidently however endeavoured to return an answer to mine and that was enough to make my heart beat high as soon as night followed upon the day which had beheld this gracious and favourable change i returned to my station at the window the jalousies were closed and no sign or symptom announced that any one was within for near half an hour when suddenly i heard them move and beheld them slowly and cautiously open to perhaps the extent of three inches i could see nothing but that they were open though i strained my eyes to discover what was beyond however after a moment's silence i had my recompense by hearing a very soft and musical voice demand in a low tone are you there i am answered i in the hyperbolic style usual to spanish gallants i am fairest of earth's creatures and ready to serve you with life and hush 
said the voice. Go instantly to the theatre and ask for the box marked G. Wait there, whatever betide, and say no more. The jalousie immediately closed, and snatching up my hat, I prepared to obey the command, when my door opened and Father Francis appeared with a light. "'In the dark, my dear Louis,' he said with some astonishment. "'What are you doing in the dark? Better come and read Seneca with me.' "'I'm just going to the play,' replied I, holding up my hand to my eyes as if the sudden light affected them, but in reality to cover a certain crimsoning of the cheek, which the mere presence of so good and pure a being called up, in spite of my efforts to prevent it. They play tonight Calderon's Cisma de Inglaterra. You are all too fond of that bad place, a theatre, said Father Francis, but I suppose, Louis, that it will always be so at your age. I must not forget now, when I can no longer enjoy, that you are in the season of enjoyment, and that I was once like you. However, I hope that your love of theatres will soon pass. They were instituted, doubtless, to promote morality and to do good, but they are sadly perverted in our day. Well, God be with you. I could have well spared the interruption, but more especially the good father's recommendation to God, when my purpose was not what my own heart could fully approve. Not that I had any formed design of evil, not that I had any wish of wrongdoing innocence, nay, nor of breaking my faith to Helen. "'Twas but excitement, I thought, and though perhaps I wished I had not advanced so far, I was ashamed of drawing back, and I hurried on to the theatre. A great crowd was going in, and following the course of the stream I sought for the box marked G. On finding it I was surprised to discover that it was one of the curtained boxes reserved for the principal officers of the city. An old woman had the keys of these boxes in charge, and to her I applied for admission. The face of surprise which she assumed I shall not easily forget. Hey day! she exclaimed. Let you into the box of the corregidor? I dare say. Pray, young sir, where is your order? Here, said I, nothing abashed, and resolved to accomplish my object and putting my hand in my pocket I seemed to search for the order, till some persons who were near had passed on. I then produced a pistol, which the old lady found to be in order in so good and authentic a form, that she drew forth the key and proceeded towards the door, saying, "'The corregidor went out of town this morning, and will not return for two days, so there can be no great harm in letting you in. But keep the curtains closed. You can see and hear very well through the chinks.' without showing yourself in the corregidor's box, I warrant. I promised to observe her directions, and entered the box, which was empty. I seated myself behind the curtains, which, drawn completely across the front, hid me from the spectators, though I had still a good view of the stage. The play, indeed, was not what I came to see, and at first I listened with eager and attentive ears to the sound of every foot that passed by the door of the box. Actually trembling with anxiety and excitement, I could hear one person after another go by, till the tide of spectators began to slacken, and, at last, but the solitary step of some late straggler, sounded along the passage, hurrying on to make up for his delay. Two or three times, when the foot was lighter than the rest, or when it seemed to pause near the door, I started up, 
and my heart beat till it was actually painful to feel it throbbing against my side but after a while in order to calm such sensations i endeavoured to fix my mind upon the play and won by the cunning of the scene i gradually entered into the passions i saw portrayed the play la cisma de inglaterra contained all of calderon's rigour and wit and also all his extravagance the first scene representing the dream of henry the eighth king of england and his reception of the two letters from the pope and from martin luther was too full of petty conceits to engage me for a moment but the description of anne bullen as given by carlos in the second scene caught my young imagination and the exquisite wit of the court fool pasquin soon riveted my attention the character had been allotted to one of the best performers of the company, and it was wonderful what point he gave to the least word of the jester. Calderon had done much, but every theatrical writer must leave much for the player, and in this instance nothing he could have wished expressed was either omitted or caricatured. It was all true and simple, from the broad childish stare, half folly, half satire, with which he exclaimed, que soy galan de galanes to the face of moralizing meditation half bewildered half severe with which he commented on the king's melancholy triste este rey de que sirve cuanto puede cuanto manda si no puede estar alegre cuando quiere the play had proceeded for some time and i was listening with deep interest to the exquisite dialogue between the king and anne bullen in which he first discovers his passion to her when the door of the box opened and a lady entered wrapped in a black mantilla her face was also concealed with a black velvet mask and though after shutting the door of the box carefully she dropped the mantilla discovering a form on whose beauties i will not dwell she still retained the mask for some moments and i could see her hand shake as it leaned on the back of one of the seats my heart beat so violently that i could scarcely speak and i would have given worlds for one word from her lips to which i might have replied time however was not to be lost and advancing i offered my hand to lead her forward but she raised her finger saying in a very low voice hush is there any one in the box to the left i have heard no one replied i rejoicing to recognize the same tones in which the appointment had been made with me nay do not tremble so i added laying my hand on hers and i believe the agitation which that touch must have told her i experienced myself served more to reassure her than my words why should you fear with a friend a lover an adorer why too should you hide your face from one to whom its lightest look is joy will you not take off your mask the lady made no reply but seating herself in the back part of the box leaned her head for some time upon her hand over which the ringlets of her rich black hair fell in glossy profusion my agitation gradually subsided i added caresses to tender language i held her hand in mine i ventured to carry it to my lips and i am afraid many a burning word did passion suggest to my tongue for a moment or two she let me retain her hand seeming totally absorbed by feelings which which gave no other sense power to act 
but at length she gently withdrew it from mine and untying a string that passed through her hair let the mask drop from her face if her figure had struck me as lovely how transcendentally beautiful did her face appear when that which hid it was thus suddenly removed she could not be more than eighteen and each clear exquisite feature seemed moulded after the enchanting specimens of ancient art but animated with that living grace which leaves the statue far below her lip was all sweetness and her brow all bland expanse but there was a wild energetic fire in her eye which spoke of the strong and ardent passions of her country and there was also an occasional gleam in it that had something almost approaching the intensity of mental wandering let me not say that those eyes were anything less than beautiful they were of those full dark thrilling orbs that seem to look deep into the heart of man and exercise upon all its pulses a strange attracting influence like that which the bright moons hold over the waters of the world and round them swept a long black silky fringe that shaded and softened without diminishing their lustre by a ray as soon as she recovered herself sufficiently to speak she replied to my ardent professions in language which though somewhat wild and undefined left me no doubt of her feelings she told me too that she was the daughter of the corregidor and that her mother was dead and that her father loved her even to idolatry that she returned his affection and that never even were it to wed a monarch would she leave him at the same time she spoke enthusiastically even wildly of love and passion and to what it might prompt a determined heart she spoke too of jealousy but she said it was incompatible with love for that a mind which felt like hers was instantly convert its love into hate if it once found itself deceived and what was there she asked that such hate would not do on this subject she threw out some dark and mysterious hints which at any other moment might have made me estimate the dangerous excess of all her passions but i was infatuated and would not see the perils that surrounded the dim gulf into which i was plunging we talked long and we talked ardently and in the end when some little time before the play was concluded she rose to leave me my brain was in a whirl that wanted little but the name to be madness though i have unlimited power over my actions said she even perhaps too much so for ungrateful that i am i sometimes wish my father loved me less or more wisely but as i said though i have unlimited power over my own actions some reasons forbade me to-night receiving you in my own house to-morrow night you may come you have remarked she added putting on her mask and wrapping her mantilla round her a small door under the window of my dressing-room at midnight it will be open come thither for there are many things i wish to say then she enjoined me not to leave the theatre till the play was completely over and left me my whole mind and thoughts in a state of agitation and confusion hardly to be expressed i will not say that conscience did not somewhat whisper i was doing wrong but the tumult of excited passion and the gratification of my spirit of romance prevented me even from calculating how far i might be hurried there was certainly some vague point where i proposed to stop short of vice and i trust i should have done so even had not other circumstances intervened to save me therefrom however that may be 
let it be marked and remembered from the first that the steps i took in wrong by an extraordinary chain of circumstances caused all the misery of my existence End of chapter 8